All right, good morning. We're uh, running a little behind, so we'll go ahead and get started here this morning. Um, I'd encourage you to get a bulletin. We also have some of our new magazines out and then our, our um, uh, newsletter for the months of July and August. Uh, there should be some of those in the back. Uh, a couple quick announcements before Jared comes to, to read our scripture. One is Next Generation Kids will start not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. It will resume. This Wednesday is July 4th, so we won't have any Wednesday night activities. Um, but on the 11th, we'll resume our, our Next Generation Kids. We also have a men's and women's Bible study uh, coming up on uh, in the month of uh, July. And so make sure to plan to be part of that as, as well. Uh, I believe that's it. We also got a card uh, from Kaylee, just a thank you note. Um, she says, as most of you know, this has been a difficult season in my life. I've grown in strength and wisdom and feel, felt the rescuing, felt rescuing grace. I could not be getting through it without you all. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for the love, grace, meals, visits, text, and steadfast prayer. Uh, God is good all the time, and all the time he is good. And so that's from Kaylee Wetstein. She's appreciating our, uh, the support that, through some of the things that she's been through, and that's what we're hoping to see more of as a, as a church family, to grow in that kind of love and, and care for one another. And uh, so I thought I'd share that with you this morning. Jared, you come at this time and read our scripture for us. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. I want to welcome you all to Union Baptist Church, and, and we're certainly delighted to have you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of First Peter. I'm going to read the first 12 verses there of chapter 3. Just kind of uh, folding back in something that we've put some focus on in the past as we think about our need here for fellowship and, and being... Uh, united together uh, we need to just remember that one of the ways that that works itself out is the fellowship in the home and uh, just kind of returning to that theme of husbands and wives uh, as just a part of this greater idea of, of coming together and, and loving each other well so God's word gives us some direction here on that and I want to share that with you all this morning so first Peter chapter 3 starting with verse 1 says likewise Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking dis speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Fathers, we gather here this morning. We do want to be those who, uh, who your eyes are upon. We want to be those who are righteous, but yet we recognize, O oh God, that we are full of sin. We are fraught with sin. Every good deed that we would seek to do can be tainted and stained by sin because of the presence of what we would call indwelling sin. But we rejoice that our standing with you, our acceptance, our fellowship with you doesn't depend on our being able to live good enough to earn your favor. Our being accepted by you is a result of our faith in Jesus Christ and it's only through him that we are accepted. 
When you look on those in faith, you see us, God, as those clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not standing in our own good deeds. And so although this passage tells us how we ought to live, and it lays out very practical ways to keep peace in the home and to, to, to live in a godly way so as to draw unsaved spouses to Christ and how to act in the church and, and how to treat others, Lord, not reviling, not slandering, not treating people evilly, those things don't earn favor with you. They're simply the product of having faith and trust in Christ and having a changed heart. They become what we would call evidence that we have put our faith in Christ. And so God, I pray this morning that we would not come trying to earn your favor, that we would not come trying to fellowship so that you will bless us, trying to fellowship so that we can get in good with you. I pray that we would seek your face and, and seek to know you and love you and desire you because you've changed our hearts. And that as an outflow of that changed heart, we would fellowship with one another in the church, in the world, and in the home, rightly ordered by your word and the spirit directing our lives. That's our prayer. That's our desire. And God, we ask that you would do that today. We also pray that you would bless us as we worship together. Be with Daniel and the praise band, God, that they would not be a performance, but that they would be a tool that helps us to worship, that they would lead us to worship, that we would not watch them and spectate what they do and call that worship, but God, that, that we would be joining them in worship to glorify the name of your son, Jesus Christ, through song. And that through singing, you would prepare our hearts and stimulate our minds and stir our affections so that as the word gets preached here in a few moments, God, we would be affected deeply by that word and that our lives would be changed and that they would produce the kind of fruit that you desire. God, we, we praise you, we thank you, we love you, and we want to love others well because you've loved us well. And we ask that you would work that in, God, into our lives, into the very fabric of this church through the blood of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of your spirit. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're coming up and been celebrating already uh, the, the birth of our nation. And certainly we're grateful for our nation. We're grateful for uh, the legacy that it's had of independence and freedom, uh, religious freedom. And, and that's a wonderful blessing of God's common grace to us as, as people and something we certainly should celebrate uh, but what we've got to be careful that in our celebration of our nation and the liberties that we have, that we fail to grasp the reality that this is not our home. We, we are indeed just pilgrims p passing through, and uh, our hope is, is laid up in heaven, and that's what that song was about, that, that one day uh, we will meet on that beautiful shore. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and we do want to thank you for the gift of liberty, the gift of religious freedom, the gift uh, that from your hand, really, Lord, that, that we have as, as Christians living here in America, that, that we're able to gather and we don't have to be concerned about persecution. We don't have to be concerned uh, that, that somebody might know that we're meeting at, at this time. Lord, we can, we can celebrate your resurrection and proclaim your gospel freely and openly in this country we thank you for that and we pray that that would continue to be the case yet lord we we know that our ultimate hope is laid up in in heaven and it is for that heavenly city that we long uh, where we will have complete liberty in in christ lord we also think this morning as we celebrate our liberties and our freedoms we think about our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the same level of freedom some of them are in places that uh, even declaring that they know Christ, that they believe in Christ could, could cost them their lives, and yet they're bold in their witness. There are others that, uh, that are harassed because of their faith. They, they can't meet in, in open and public places, Lord, and, and yet they're faithful. And we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in those places, and we want to pray for our missionaries that are in places like that this morning, Lord, that don't have our freedom. Uh, we pray for your blessing on them. We pray for your protecting hand over, over them. And we pray that you would give fruit uh, in, in their ministry and in their labor. Lord, we pray that as we take up this offering this morning, uh, that it would be used to continue to help spread the gospel in those nations. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that, that uh, your kingdom would just permeate like leaven in, in bread would just permeate in those cultures and in those places. Uh, 
uh, and Lord, that they might one day experience the freedom that we have as well. Uh, Lord, we just lift all these things up. We pray for your blessing on this service this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray it. Amen. I just feel led to say once again, um, not something that I had prepared, but but perhaps as you celebrate and and remember the, the birth of our nation and, and our freedom when we celebrate that, I just feel led again to say, let that not be your hope. Because what we find is anytime that we place our hope in anything in this life, it's temporary. And uh, so some of you, even now, uh, some of you are excited about things going on in our nations. Others of you may, may de be depressed and be feeling bad about some things that are going on in our nation. But, but you see, if your ultimate hope is tied to this nation and how it's going and the freedom that we have here and so on, uh, that's going to be a roller coaster. But, but our ultimate hope is tied to Jesus Christ. And uh, we long for that day. Don't you long for that day when, just as we sing, Jesus will return, we will fall on bended knee and worship our, our Savior and be with him forever, and that's our hope. And uh, when that is your hope, then the things that are going on in this life and in this country and in your family and, and financially and all those things, that they don't tend to affect you as greatly uh, when, when you have the hope of the gospel. Uh, take your Bibles this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at the first three verses and really just focus in on, on one command. We've been talking about building biblical community as a church. Uh, we, we've seen some hindrances uh, to biblical community. Uh, we, we saw what that biblical community was in, in the book of Acts, how they continued not only in the apostles' doctrine, but they also continued in fellowship. That, that was an integral part of the early church. It was a, a, a foundational thing, and it's something that the, the modern church has moved away from. We, we treat church as if we're going to the movies or as if we're going to a restaurant. It's, a, it's an event that we go and we attend this event maybe weekly or a couple times a month, and then we go and, and our lives are not affected, and there's no, there's no lasting kind of relationship with, with church. It's just an event, but... But the early church, it was a body, it was a family. The people were drawn together. They had fellowship on a, on a regular basis. And that's what we are aiming for here as a church. We've noticed that we are not where we need to be in terms of fellowship. And so we're, we're striving and pushing forward uh, to try to grow in, in that area. And uh, we started last week by, by saying, what, what's the way forward? How do we work toward being more biblical in, in terms of community as a church? How do we develop that? How do we cultivate that in the life of our church? And the answer that I see most often in the New Testament and what we focused on last week and this week again uh, is, is hospitality. When we open our homes, and more than just opening our homes, when we open our lives to other believers and we incorporate them, we weave them into our lives uh, on, a, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, not just once a week gathering in this event, but when we incorporate them into our lives, that is what cultivates, that is what builds uh, this sense of community. So we want to look at another command this morning to practice hospitality. Last week we, we noted that most all of the commands to hospitality in the New Testament come in the context of a command to love. And so that was true of the command last week that we saw to practice hospitality. Uh, and, and it's true this week as well. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. And then verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So you see the connection once again. If we truly have the kind of love that Jesus says will be an indicator, a marker to the world around us that we are his disciples, the, the world will know that if we have love for one another. And one of the ways that we display that love and cultivate that love and grow that love is by practicing hospitality. So let brotherly love continue. Namely, do not ne neglect to show hospitality to strangers, so don't neglect to do it. But notice there's in this a, a unique statement is given, for thereby, that is by practicing hospitality, some have entertained angels unawares. Now, 
I just want to start by, by saying, you know, sometimes seemingly insignificant details play a much bigger role in the outcome of a thing than we could ever have imagined. Maybe some of you have heard the, the proverb that goes something like this, for one of a nail, the shoe was lost. And for one of a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of the horse, the rider was lost. For one of a rider, the message was lost. For one of a message, the battle was lost. For one of the battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. You see, what that proverb is teaching us is that sometimes insignificant or seemingly insignificant details play a much big factor, a bigger factor in, in the outcome of a thing than we really realize. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews here is seeking to demonstrate. Uh, sometimes we look at hospitality and we, we think of it in terms of not, something not very important. If I open my home, if I have these people over, if I, if I help this person who's in need, it's, it's insignificant. It doesn't play any big role in anything. But what I want us to see, and I think what the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to do, uh, I want us to see that hospitality often plays a central role. It plays a central role in the advancement of the mission of God. And secondly, it brings unexpected supernatural blessings to those who practice it. So the act of hospitality uh, plays a central role in the advancement of the kingdom of God, in the advancement of his mission, and it brings supernatural blessings often to those who practice it. You see the two, two aspects of that now, when, when the writer of Hebrews gives this uh, command, he, he, he tries to sharpen that command. Don't neglect to show hospitality, so, so don't miss out on this. And he, he sharpens that command by, by making this statement because some people have practiced hospitality and in their hospitality, they have actually entertained angels even though they were unaware that, that the people or the, the beings to whom they were practicing hospitality were, were angelic. Now, what we need to understand when we come to understand this, this text is the book of Hebrews written to, to predominantly Jewish people. Uh, they were people who were steeped in the Old Testament tradition. These were people who so uh, knew their Old Testament. They knew the stories, probably as children, uh, that these stories were repeated to them as they would go to the synagogue and their parents would train them and teach them. Uh, they discipled them. Remember Deuteronomy 6, it says, talk about these things as you stand up, as you sit down, as you walk by the way. And many Jewish families were, were very particular about making sure that their children knew the Old Testament. And that's why when you look to the book of Hebrews, uh, you, you really cannot see, you really can't turn to any page or any passage in the book of Hebrews that doesn't point back to the Old Testament in some way. It picks up on things like priests and the temple and sacrifices and the tabernacle and Abraham. It picks up on, on individuals like Moses, angels, Abraham, Melchizedek, uh, covenants and the holy place there. Every page of the book of Hebrews is just dripping with, with allusions back to the Old Testament. That's because the writer of Hebrews was writing to people who would, who would know much of the Old Testament by memory and by, by heart. So he's drawing on that much more so uh, than Paul does in some of, of his letters, though he, he often uh, alludes to the Old Testament as well. Uh, but there's something unique about the book of, of Hebrews. Now, I think what, what's going on here is that the writer of Hebrews is saying kind of a vague statement here. He says, some have entertained angels unaware. And some people have said, well, this is probably an allusion to this story or that story in the Old Testament, maybe Abraham and Lot, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But I think the writer of Hebrews is what he really wants us to do is use the, the, the reader to use his or her imagination to think back through the Old Testament. And when you do that, Guess what? There are all kinds of stories where people practice hospitality and there was some kind of angelic or, or not only angels, but people who were sent by God, who were helped and, and entertained, who were, who were helped along the way by the practice of hospitality. And I think that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is doing. It's not as if he's just pointing to one story like, hey, remember the story of Abraham? Oh, certainly that fits the, the, the category here. That fits the description of what's going on. 
But, but it's more than that. He's calling the, the reader, use your imagination. Think back through the Old Testament and remember all of those times when people practiced hospitality, when they invited someone into their home, when they shared a meal, when they helped a stranger along the way, and, and in the end, they were actually helping someone, who, someone or some being, an angelic being, who had been sent by God on, on some mission. And so what I want us to do this morning is just to walk through some of those stories and meditate on some of those Old Testament stories that demonstrate this truth that, that might motivate us then to not, uh, not to practice hospitality begrudgingly or not to overlook hospitality, but, but to do it with a, a willingness. So we're going to look, I think, this morning at four stories from the Old Testament. The first one is the story of, of Abraham. Do you remember that story? It's in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, and, and we think back to that story. Abraham was in his home, in, in his tent. He's a nomadic. These are nomadic people, and so they're living in tents. And uh, Abraham sees three men that appear and, and that begin to walk to him. Now, what you need to know in this day and time is that strangers were, were very potentially dangerous, right? Abraham's a nomadic person. Uh, they're just wandering around. Okay, they don't have law enforcement, they don't have police, they don't have city government, they probably don't have neighbors. A stranger could be uh, very much be a danger and a threat to your family. Because of this, some people didn't practice hospitality. They, they'd try to scare somebody off, get, get them on down the, the road. But the problem is that the people that were traveling, there's no hotels, there's no rest stops, there, there, there's, there's no restaurants, and uh, there's no gas stations that you can stop by at. Uh, people who were travelers, they were dependent on hospitality of, of people. Uh, and so it was kind of a mixed bag. You, you've got the people that are practicing the hospitality. There's a potential risk for them, and there's the risk for the travelers. We need help. We need food and water as we're traveling, and we need a place to sleep. And uh, so, so there was just this kind of a balance there. But what happens here is that Abraham sees these, these travelers, and it says something about his character in Genesis chapter 18 that, that Abraham was willing uh, to, to go out to these men and invite them to come in. And, and he really uh, takes some initiative here. He doesn't just offer it to them, well, if you'd like to stop. He goes out and he says, if, if you found me worthy, come and, and stop by. Stay, stay here and let me, let me wash your feet. This is what Abraham does. He says, let me wash your feet and give you some water and maybe a little bit of bread so you can get on your way. And, and then what Abraham does uh, in, in reality is what Bonnie's grandma always does to us. If you stop by her house to visit, it doesn't matter if you just, got, you just left Texas Roadhouse and, and ate 2,000 calories. You stop by her house. Let me get you something to eat. Oh, no, we've just eaten. Oh, come on, let me get you. She'll start pulling things out. Look, here's a little bit of this. She starts setting it out on the tables. Here's some of this. Oh, I really don't want anything. And then finally, after she pressures you enough, uh, then you finally say, okay, well, I guess I could eat a little bit of this. And then she says, okay, well, let me get you some of this too and, and some of this. And uh, I, I think that's a good practice. And that's kind of what Abraham does in, in this story. Abraham says, look, come and get some water. I'll give you a little bit of bread. We'll wash your feet and you can be on your way. Well, then Abraham does the old bait and switch. They stop and, and Abraham tells Sarah, look, go, go get a, a, a calf. Go get a young calf and kill the calf and let's, let's cook it. And it says that they, they did it quickly, uh, but how quickly can you kill a calf and skin it and you know cut up the meat and cook it and all that? That, that took some time. And so Abraham does that and he feeds these men. Abraham didn't do the minimum. But, you know, when, when Abraham did this, he, he thought he was serving these men. And he thought that they, they were merely men. The, the text indicates, and I think Hebrews may be uh, alluding to this story perhaps, uh, but, but Abraham doesn't know who these men are. But what turns out is that these are angels. And in fact, one of them uh, it, it appears this may be what we call a theophany, which is a, a sort of a pre-incarnation uh, appearance of the Lord in, in some kind of human form. Because it says in that context, it says in that, that, 
scenario that Abraham was talking with the Lord. And so these three men appear to be one of them, the Lord in some kind of human form, and, and then two angelic beings with him. Abraham doesn't know this, but through his, his practice of hospitality, he has a meal with the Lord. He sits down and talks with the Lord and he thinks he's blessing these men. He thinks that, that he's being the blessing, that he is helping them. In reality, it turns out that these men, the Lord and these angels have come to announce, first of all, something very special. Uh, God had already given Abraham a promise that, that he would have a son, uh, but the Lord is coming now to personally announce to him Abraham's been waiting a long way, a, a long time, but he's announcing now that this son is about ready to be conceived and to be born. He says, by this time next year, when I, I'm going to return to you, I'm going to come back to you, and by this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Not only uh, that, Abraham thought he was being a blessing, but, but he gets incorporated into the plan of God. So, so I think... We see a couple things here. Through this act of hospitality, Abraham and Sarah were the ones who turned out to be blessed. They thought they were blessing someone else, but they ended up receiving the blessing. God used this act of hospitality as an occasion to announce the birth of a son. Not only that, but they were allowed to sit in the presence of the Lord, to converse with angels and with the Lord himself. What a blessing they received because Abraham was a man of righteous character and he was willing to, to be hospitable to these angels. But not only that, we said there were two truths. We, we see not only did they receive the blessing, but God's redemptive purpose and his mission was also advanced through uh, this act of hospitality because it was through this that the, the, the announcement of Isaac's birth uh, was given. And we know that Isaac... And, and then Jacob, this is the father of the nation of Israel, God's people uh, through whom the Messiah would come. All of that happened, and, and you see the, the role that hospitality played in that. And that's, I think, what, what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Look, you, you may be part of the mission of God, and you may experience these great blessings by just practicing hospitality to, to strangers. We see a second story, and that is Lot, the story of Lot. This story is a little bit darker. Uh, it's, it's not quite as good, in, in my opinion, and, and yet it is a story of hospitality. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and this is just right on in the next chapter. When, when the Lord left from Abraham, it said the Lord went his way, and then these two angels went to Sodom, and they went there because... They had heard of this great wickedness of the city of, of Sodom. And as they approached the city of Sodom, it says that Lot was sitting in the gate. And Lot saw these two men coming. And uh, Lot went out to them. And again, like Abraham, he doesn't just offer it. Instead, he pleads with him, come in and stay with me. And they say, well, we had planned to stay in, in just in the town square. And Lot says, no, you do not want to stay in, in the town square. Come into my home, be my guest, and then you can get up early in the morning and be on, on your way. Lot probably did this because he knew of the wickedness of, of this city. Well, what happens is, in this very dark story is, is that the men of the town who are so engrossed, who are so darkened and vile by their sin, they get wind that Lot has brought these guests into, uh, into his home. And so they come to his home wanting to, to, to be able to, to have some kind of relationship with, with these men. They were so engrossed in their sin that they were thinking of a of, of violent kind of rape that, that would take place. And that's, it seems, what Lot was trying to protect these angels from, although he did not know that they were, were angels. Well, the men are coming against Lot. And there, at that moment, Lot even goes to the door and he tries to put himself between the men and, and, and uh, these angels, these guests. And he pleads with him, look, don't do this. This is so wicked and, and so vile. At the last minute, the, the angels uh, reach back and pull Lot into the house. They said, we're, we're going to do worse to you if you don't send these men out to us. And Lot, the, the angels pull Lot back into the home. 
and they strike the men with, with blindness. But these men are so engrossed, so wicked and vile in, in their sin that it says that they continue to grasp at the jewelry. They, the, even the blindness that had come upon them could not deter them from seeking to pursue their sin. And so what we see in this dark story is that Lot put his life, not only his life, but also the, the life of his family on the line to protect these, what he thought were, were travelers. Now, one of the big parts of hospitality in that day and time was not just, this wasn't just about offering somebody a meal. You know, they could go to McDonald's, but we're going to practice hospitality and we'll have you into our home. No, they, they needed food, but they also needed protection. And Lot knew that. You see, when Lot was sitting at that gate and he saw these travelers coming into the city of Sodom, he knew that they were coming into danger. And he knew that by taking these men into his home, that he was bringing himself into danger. But that's an element of, of hospitality. He's putting his, his own life, his own well-being on the line to protect and to shelter these men. And God blessed that hospitality. We know the rest of the, the story from the, the story of Lot. God saw indeed that the wickedness of Sodom was, was this great. And so he sent fire and brimstone to, to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, this is, this is enough. And so he brings an immediate judgment on, on this city. And so we see a couple of things here. These two truths come out again. The redemptive plan of God is advanced and the, the person who practices hospitality gets a supernatural blessing from the Lord. Well, how is God's redemptive plan uh, advanced through this kind of dark story? Well, what we see is that Sodom is a picture of God's coming judgment. In the New Testament, the, the, the city of Sodom and the destruction, the story that happens there serves as sort of an example for all people for all time to say, look, there is a coming judgment upon all people. In fact, Jesus said when, in, in the day that he returns, it will be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is going to come. And so we have a picture of God's judgment here in this story that should exhort us and should challenge us to repent of our sins. Second Peter 2, 6 says this, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. As you read that story, it is an example. It is an encouragement. It is an exhortation for you to turn from your sin because there is, listen this morning, there is a coming judgment. God will pour his wrath out on our sin. And so God's redemptive purpose is advanced through this act of hospitality. Not only that, but blessing came to Lot. What was the blessing? Well, this blessing was his life was spared. The life of his family was spared because he was willing to, to entertain these strangers, because he was willing to protect them and take them into his home. Because of that, God spared the life of Lot and his family. Well, there are other stories in the Old Testament, and not all of them have to do directly with, with angels. You know, that word that we have here, angels, in verse 2, some have entertained angels unaware. Uh, that word really just means messenger. And so sometimes in the Bible, the word messenger is, is talked about and used for angelic beings, what, what we would call angelic beings. But sometimes it's also just used for human beings who are sent with some message from God. And we see some stories of, of, of that nature. People who practice hospitality toward messengers from God who were not angelic beings, but, but were nevertheless sent by God. You remember the story of, of Rahab the harlot? Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Uh, the people of Israel had been freed from slavery. They were going into the promised land. They were getting ready to conquer uh, the, the land of, of uh, Palestine, the, the promised land that God had given them. And as they went into this city, they sent spies. And Jericho was a great city with, with, with great big walls. And so they send spies into the, the city of Jericho. And these spies come into 
Rahab's home. Rahab ran uh, what, what we would call maybe kind of like a bed and breakfast, so to speak, but uh, apparently she was the type of woman that you could maybe get a little more than be a bed and breakfast, uh, but that's the kind of place that people had to stay when they traveled sometimes in, in ancient times. And uh, so these men go into, this, uh, into her home. There's nothing spectacular about that in and of itself because that's what she did. Strangers came in and they, they slept there. They, they probably paid money and they were given a place to stay for the night. So nothing remarkable about Rahab so far. But the problem is that these spies, the, the city, the, the, the leaders of that city get word that these men are actually spies and they've gone into Rahab's home. And so they come knocking on the door. And the smart thing for Rahab to do would be to say, look, they came in. I don't know who they are, but they're upstairs. Go get them and do what you want to do. Instead, Rahab, because she has heard about the Lord, because she has heard about uh, the, the people of Israel and the great feats that God has done through them, she hides these spies. She takes them up to her roof and, and hides them on, on the roof. So the soldiers come in and they say, she says, I don't know who they were. They did stay here, but they were, they're gone already. And she hides these men. And then after the soldiers are gone, she sends them out another way. And she saved their, their life. Again, we see the, the truth. We see the advancement of God's mission. Uh, the people of Israel go in and they conquer the city of Jericho. And they're able to do that because these spies, their lives are, are saved. But we also see blessing again, a supernatural blessing comes to Rahab because Rahab was going to be destroyed along with the city. But because of her act of hospitality, the Lord spares her. They say, look, put the red cord out your window and, and you'll be saved. And when we come in to destroy this city, you will not be destroyed. You and all of your family will be okay. Well, there's one more story. We're gonna, we're gonna skip that story, I think. Uh, with, with uh, Elijah and the widow of, of Zarephath. Uh, Elijah goes and is, and is taken care of and provided for through, through this widow in, in Zarephath. Uh, Zarephath wasn't even a city of, of Israel. And yet she took this prophet in and, and gave her the last, gave, gave to him the last little bit of what she had. They're, they're under a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, famine, famine, thank you, Jared. They're, they're having a, a famine, and so people are dying of starvation. And she has this last bit of oil and flour, and that's all that she has. And the Lord sends Elijah and says, go to this widow, and, and she will make bread for you. She will feed you and, and take care of you. And so she, he goes, and uh, she says, look, all I've got is this flour. I would, I would gladly feed you. I've got this last little bit of flour, and this last little bit of oil, and that's it. Me and I, I'm gathering sticks right now because I'm going to make a fire, and I'm going to cook this last little bit of bread that we have, and then me and my son are going to die. And Elijah says, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that flour and oil, and I want you first to make me some bread. And that would be unthinkable, except he says this. He gives a promise with that. When you do that, the, the Lord will bless, and this flour that you have and this oil that you have will not run out he will continue miraculously to supply you with flour and oil so that you and your son will live later on that son is is uh, uh becomes sick and dies and and elijah is still staying there with him and elijah prays to the lord and the son's life is returned to him again we see the advancement of god's mission as this prophet of God continues to prophesy, and, and we see this unexpected, wonderful, supernatural blessing. This woman sees the Lord at work. She sees the power of God and providing for her and sparing her life and her son's life, and then later on, uh, bringing and restoring her son's life. Well, I think that stories like this, and there are many more in the Old Testament, are what the writer of Hebrews is pointing to. He's saying, don't neglect to show hospitality because remember, remember how God has worked through hospitality. Remember how people have entertained angels. Remember how the mission of God has gone forward as people were willing to be hospitable and welcome strangers into their home. Remember that. And because of that, you ought to be spurred on in your practice of hospitality. 
That's the point of the text this morning. It isn't that, you know, every time we practice hospitality or every time we see a stranger, we get cold chills because this might uh, some kind of mystical feeling because we secretly think they might be an, an angel. He isn't saying practice hospitality because in some extremely unlikely cases, you might be hospitable to an angel, although I don't see anything that prohibits or bars that from being the case. Instead, the writer is encouraging us to see that we should practice hospitality. In doing so, we are very likely, in doing this, in practicing hospitality, we are very likely helping someone who has been sent to us by the Lord, whether that's an angel or whether this is just someone sent from the Lord. He's calling on us in a very real way to see each and every person that God places in our life as someone who has been sent to us by him. He's calling us to see that that we may be used by God in the advancement of his mission, his saving mission through our hospitality and kindness to strangers. And he's reminding us that hospitality should not be neglected. Don't neglect it because because we see it somehow as an intrusion. Rather, we should see these individuals like those in the Old Testament did as as someone who's been sent by us, uh, sent to us by by God. And we should also recognize that often there's a, a far greater blessing. We think, well, we'll be a blessing to these people. Often there's a far greater blessing that God gives to us through our practice of hospitality than we give to those to those who to whom we practice hospitality. Think even of the words of Jesus. Do you remember that what Jesus said? He said, "Whoever offers a cup of cold water to one of my people, to one of my children, in my name, it's as if he's done it to me." Whenever we feed, whenever we care for, whenever we we offer help or assistance to someone in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, it's as if you are doing it to me. So don't look at hospitality as an intrusion. Don't think this is messing up the big plan. This is getting in my way. Instead, you need to see this is part of the mission of God. And there's a great blessing that can be had when I practice hospitality. A couple application points this morning. First, I want to just ask you the question, how how could God's plan of redeeming his people be advanced through your hospitality? How could God's redemptive purpose, his saving mission, how could that be advanced by your practicing hospitality, by your opening up your life, opening up your home to people who are, uh, in all accounts, strangers? Well, one, I'm just going to give a few bullet points here of of ways I think that could possibly happen, but there are many ways I think it it could happen. These are some examples, though. One, when you see someone in need, help them. When you see someone in need, help them. In the Bible, it, it says that whenever Jesus taught, whenever someone asks for you, asks something of you, give it to them. And we say, well, I don't know. I don't know about them. They might, they might abuse the situation. They might take it out and buy cigarettes. They might, they might take it out and buy lottery tickets or, or alcohol or something. I don't want to support that kind of thing. And, and yet, it's better to err on this side of helping those in need, even though we may be taken advantage of, than to be closed off and say, I'm never going to help anybody because I can't be certain of their intentions. We ought to be willing to help those in need. When Abraham and when Lot... And when this this woman from Zarephath, when when they practice hospitality, look, they put more on the line than just losing out on a little money. They put their lives on the line. They, They put everything that they had on the line to practice hospitality. So when you see someone in need, help them. Another potential way that we can practice hospitality and through our hospitality, advance the mission, the saving, redemptive purposes of God is by taking children in who are in need, taking children in need into our homes. We can do that through, through foster care, through adoption. Perhaps even if, if you're not at a place where you're able to do that, uh, even just through mentoring, just finding kids who, who need a role model, who need someone who will spend time with them and, and invest into their lives. 
Listen, I know that's a, a great challenge. We, we've done that for many years. And there are many challenges to it. There are many difficulties. There are many disappointments. And yet when you see our, our foster care system and you see the numbers of kids who are sitting there with no place to go, the number of kids who are in residential homes which are, are better than being on the street for sure but are not the ideal situation for them, they are not healthy environments for them to be in, how can we as the people of God sit back and not invest and not take care of these children. We bear a responsibility. Listen, the book of James says this, that true religion is to help the fatherless and the widows. And so I think we cannot ask uh, if, if we are to help those children in need, if we are to help orphans, but how can we best help them? And how can we, in our particular situation, how can we help them? Not if, and I think we can advance the redemptive purposes of God through that. Evangelism is another way. When you simply open your home, you know, you can share your faith at work. You can say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. You can, you can give someone the gospel at work or out on the street. You can do it in a cold way. But, you know, the most effective way for you to share the gospel is to open your home and say, come have dinner with me. Like, I'm not just going to beat you over the head with this 30, with this 30 second presentation or this two minute presentation of the gospel and then feel good about myself. Let, let me invite you into my home. Let me share a meal with you. Let's get to know you. I'm, I'm not just looking at you as some kind of uh, potential sales that, that I can make by, by getting you to be converted really quickly, but I'm going to invest in your life. I want to know who you are. I want to know your family and inviting them into your life. I've recently read a, a book by Rosaria Butterfield. She's got a couple of books, and I would highly, highly recommend. One is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, and then her second book is uh, that hospitality come, or the gospel comes with a house key. It's on hospitality. And she just tells the story in this book, of, in, in her first book, of how she was a, a, a liberal professor. She was uh, a lesbian. She was the head of the English department at Syracuse University, I mean, she was, she was totally gone. I mean, she was all the way, on, on, as far away from God, as far away from the Bible as you can get. She's on the other end of the spectrum. And she wrote an article sort of bashing evangelical Christians and, and, and talking about them in, in derogatory ways. And, and there was a local pastor there that read the article in whatever publication it was in. And rather than write her a scathing letter about, you, you, you know, you're a terrible, wicked person, blah, 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 as so many pastors probably would do, so many Christians would do, just get into the culture war and start lashing out at people on the other side. Instead, this pastor begins to, to write her a letter that was very caring, very kind, and says, you know, I think you might have misunderstood some things about what, what Christians are really like. And through that, they begin a conversation and and eventually he invites her into his home, his wife, and, and he invite, the, invite her, into, uh, her home, in, into his home. And she accepts it because, uh, not, not because she really wants to get to know uh, these uh, Christians, but she, she sort of has ulterior motives. She was writing another article and, and a bigger piece, and she's like, I really want to understand what's going on, what's in their mind, what, what defect is going on in their mind to allow them to believe the things that they believe. And this pastor just lovingly and graciously invested in her life. It wasn't all just about condemning her. It wasn't all just about, you know, trying to get her to quickly convert uh, to Christianity and to give up her lifestyle. It wasn't that. It was just, we love you. We care about you. Come, sit down, eat, eat, eat dinner with us. Spend time with us. And she began to do that on a weekly basis with this pastor and, and his wife. And they poured into her. And through that, she says that is what God used to bring her out of this life of sin and to bring her to the light of the glorious gospel. It is a remarkable story. It's a, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert is the name of the book that gives her her testimony in that. And I think that's the pattern that we need to follow. I see so many Christians that are lashing out on Facebook or social media. Uh, we're entrenched in these social wars about people who are out there and we're just yelling and we're mad and we're angry. Look, if we're going to reach the world around us, it's not going to be through, through this scathing Facebook post 
uh, about politics or about sin. It's going to be through reaching out in love to our neighbors, inviting them into our homes, inviting them into our lives, and sharing our faith with them, letting them see what genuine, authentic faith looks like. And I think that's the what God will so often use uh, in, in bringing sinners to, to repentance. So evangelism is another way that God's redemptive purposes can be advanced through hospitality, but also discipleship. Discipleship, you know, that best takes place in the life, in, in the context of home, in the context of hospitality. I wonder as we close this morning, I just ask this question, how often, how often have you missed out on the supernatural blessing of God? That's what the, that's what the writer of Hebrews is driving at here. How often have you missed out on the supernatural blessing of God because you had a closed hand? There was someone, perhaps, that the Lord was drawing to salvation. And look, God will get his purposes done. And, and God can use some other means. But how often have we missed out on the opportunity to take part in that because we've had a closed hand? We've seen that person in need. We, we've seen that brother or sister who's struggling. We, we've seen that stranger who could use a hand. We see that person at work who's just going through so much. And, and if we were to invite them in and welcome them into our family and into our home, uh, what, what kind of difference could have been made? I think so often we miss out on those opportunities because we're just focused on our lives. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is. Don't, don't neglect to show hospitality. Because remember how God's worked through hospitality all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament. Remember those things and let that spur you on when you see those opportunities. Pray with me this morning. I, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We are grateful, Lord, that you have welcomed us into your life. We pray that we would have that same kind of gracious attitude toward others, that we would not see others as an impediment or, or, or as a barrier or something in our way to what, what is really good. I pray that, Lord, you would, you would give us a heart for your mission, a heart for evangelism, a heart for, for, for others that would lead us to welcome others into our lives. Help us, Lord, not to have closed hands, but to have open hands. Help us to see how your mission might be advanced through our hospitality. Help us to see how many people might come to know the Lord around our dinner tables in our living rooms. Help us to see, Lord, the blessings that perhaps we're missing out on because we have, do not have an open hand. I pray as you reveal that to us in our hearts, Lord, that you would spur us on in this crucial practice of hospitality. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.